This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for the work you are doing inside of us. Thank you, Lord, because we are growing. We are growing, all of us, each and every one of us, TEC, and all the nations of Nigeria, all the nations of the earth. Thank you, Lord, because we are doing your work. Thank you, Lord, because in these last days, in these last days, we will grow. We will grow more and more and more and more and more till we look just like you. Thank you, Lord, because your spirit is at work in, amongst all of us. Thank you, Lord, because your spirit is, is alive and is at work amongst all of us, changing us and fixing us, changing us and fixing us, helping us to grow, helping us to grow, helping us to grow, helping us to grow. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. So John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'm always happy to see every one of you. John chapter 15. Let's just read those script, that, that scripture again. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be made more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my father, this, is my, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might be, go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that, you, so that whatever you ask in my name, my father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I recognize and I acknowledge that the series so far is a tough one. Especially because of our context. I know there are places in the world that if we go and preach this gospel, they'll be like, eh, before. Before. But I recognize that in our context, it's a departure from the way that people have seen things over time. The Nigerianization of the word of faith movement led to, led to a couple of things. Hallelujah. You know, more and more I realize the fact that a lot of our fathers thank God for their lives and the way God called them. They did not wait for a so-called good time to do ministry. When they met God and they saw the calling of God upon their lives, they went into it with all their hearts. Hallelujah. You know, but that also, and you know what? I don't think it could have been any other way. I honestly don't think it could have been any other way because God could, ministry is so important sometimes. If you look at the scheme of human existence, Sometimes some things are so important that you cannot really wait for it to be fully cooked before you start. Hallelujah. You know what I said? So, yeah. You, people can say that many of our fathers, after they received the calling, they don't have time to go through the rigors of theological training. The rigors of theological training. Unlike um, folks in other parts of the world, ministers in other parts of the world, 
um, reformed folks, you know, and the evangelicals who, for them to go into ministry, they go through some rigor at least. And that rigor gives them a minimum that they can go to. Do you understand? It doesn't mean that they will not still have issues, but you know, it gives them a minimum in the study of the Bible. Our fathers did not have that privilege. You know, many of them just got saved, loved God, joined the church, and you know, because of that, they started, um, you know, preaching the gospel. Hallelujah! And because of that, understandably, there were a couple of things that it takes theological training and rigor to fully appreciate. There are some things that actually takes rigor. That's why Apostle Paul insisted to Timothy that he needs to go through the rigor. Chapter in First Timothy, Second Timothy, he says you have to study to show yourself approved. You know, in chapter one, he says that you should give time to reading and meditation, so that your profiting can show unto all. When a man is talking to his son, and he insists the same thing in his letters to him, even at the point of death, it lets you know what is important. In so many points and in so many ways, recently someone was doing a count of the number of times that Paul casually took Aristotle's messages and used the gospel to refine it to show that Aristotle didn't even sap you work. <laughs> the man was a man giving to study. And that's actually what it takes to be an effective minister. That's what it actually takes. That's what it actually takes. It takes some amount of study and rigor. You know, really, you, you sit down with your Bible and, and stay with some things. You will not go with the vibes of what you've known. And so that lack of rigor is what has led to a couple of things that we might have seen around. You know, there are some things that require fine details and pruning. Because when you look at the scriptures, you will see that it is God that gives us all things richly to enjoy. And if you've not gone through rigor and you've not taken time to actually dip it, what will happen is, you might understandably think that the essence of the possessions that God gives us is for us to enjoy. Do you understand that? You can see in the scriptures that God gives us things for us to serve him and for us to also enjoy. But it takes rigor. It takes studying to show yourself approved to put it in a proper hierarchy. To understand that there's even a hierarchy and to put it as it should be. Put it all together. So, you know, there are a lot of things that would, it seems like as if are being set right, you know, it has to be. Praise God. It has to be. And I trust that, one minute, please. I trust that by the grace of God, the Lord will help us to even grow more and more in the name of Jesus. So, Apostle John tells us here, recounting what Jesus said, he says that as his disciples, he's given us one commandment, and that commandment is to love each other. And he says that commandment is what made us make us disciples, and the, the fruit that we should bear is the fruit of love. Hallelujah. I love how Apostle John makes it easy. Because I won't lie to you, right? Before studying and really digging down and sitting down with it and all that. The natural instincts, because of what, have you seen, there's one thing that you will notice as you're also growing. You will notice that as you're growing, that you've not had time to rethink everything you've been taught. So there's a possibility that even as we are now, there are some things that we have not had time to study that we inherited that are wrong. Do you know that? Because you cannot, it's not one day that you will correct all the things that you inherited that were not okay. There are some things that you'll still be saying, and that self-awareness is very important. A lot of people don't have that self-awareness. A lot of ministers don't have that self-awareness. That what you are saying is what you were taught. You yourself have not actually sat down to really study it for yourself. You know, there are two kinds of study. There's study of studying to really understand, and there's studying to refresh your memory, to preach it the way you have been taught. You know that. So, you know, Sitting down to really actually understand this and, you know, to see how everything actually coheres from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, trying to quantify, my instinct was to do a list of things of fruitfulness. Praise God. A list of things you should be fruitful in. Be fruitful in this. 
Number one, be fruitful in this. Two, be fruitful in that. Just like a winner's boy that I am. Hallelujah. You know, those things are still there. And then in studying, I discover that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you guys know I'm not used to. I'm not like all pastors that are fond of saying them. Um, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, praise God. You know, so but in the place of studying, I was inspired. And what's that? <laughs> in the place of studying, I was inspired. And, and I saw very clearly in my heart, it was clear that, see, there's one thing that I should be faithful in is love. If you want to list the number of things and areas where you should be faithful, you have an uncountable list. There's one thing you should be faithful in, it is love. One thing you should be faithful in, it is love. This is what the Lord will judge us for, our love work. By judge, I mean the believer's judgment. Do you understand that? You know there are two types of judgment, right? First Corinthians chapter eleven. Um, where else? Where else is this stated? You know, First Corinthians chapter five, I believe. There are two types of judgment: the judgment of the believers and the judgment of the world. The thing that we're going to give account for, First Corinthians chapter three, also, the thing we're going to give account for is actually our love work. This is the commandment that God has given us that we should love people, and this is the fruit that we ought to bear. That the Lord will prune us so that we can do much for. None of you will be caught away in Jesus' name. Hmm. That's why the writer of Hebrews says something. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Popular scripture. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. From verse 9 it says, You know, from the first battle we talked about, from verse 4 it already says, It is impossible for those who are who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of which come, who have fallen away, that will be brought back to repentance. Now verse 9. He now says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are, we are convinced of better things in your case. Hallelujah. So like a good pastor that he is, like every pastor ought to be, when you warn people of a danger, you will pray what is good for them. Hallelujah. So in your case, you will not be cut off in Jesus' name. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and law and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what had been promised. And from chapter 10 and the whole context we understand what had been promised talked about the life of the age to come. Hallelujah. So you see what he says when he says that God is not unfaithful, just that you forget your labor of love. I remember growing up, when you read the scripture, you say, God is not unfaithful, and I forget your labor of love. Serve God and love him. He will show for you in your academics. Serve God and love him, and he will show for you in your relationship. If you read it, you see that there's nothing like that, right? Praise God. Can you see it? He wants them to continue doing that so that what they expect, which was what was promised, they will receive. So that means that on that day when you stand before God and we are being judged, God will not forget your labor of love. <laughs> this scripture is not saying that if you love God's people and go for evangelism, your contract will come through. You can see. Hallelujah. So many of these scriptures, so many of the scriptures that, that were brutalized. Hallelujah. Like Pastor Sherry said, I were battered and bruised. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. That is the fruit. See, the writer of Hebrews saying it another way. It's actually that labor of love. It's actually that labor of love that God does not forget. Because that is the thing that summarizes our entire um, faithfulness on the earth. So if we're talking about faithfulness and God's reward, that faithfulness is actually working in love towards God's people. It's actually working in love towards God's people. And Apostle John said something. He said that, you know, he was recounting what Jesus said. And Jesus, the Lord said that, see, without me, you can do nothing. If you don't abide in me and, and I abide in you, you cannot bear this truth. And there's a reason why. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that, see, the flesh sets its heart on the things that the flesh desires. The flesh sets his heart on the things that the flesh desires. 
when man fell and man became under the elements of the things of this world, there was a corruption that set in. And because God, like I've told you guys before, God put limitation on our bodies and on the earth. God constrained our reality. And God constrained our reality for our sake. It was a mercy so that we will continually always reach out to God and find purpose. If God did not constrain our reality, we would never have been able to found, find, we would never even have had the desire to find God. Hallelujah. So God constrained our reality. And also because of that constraint, there was another effect. The flesh, the component of us, of our makeup, that is engaged in dealing with this physical world, took on an adaptation. And that adaptation is to try to survive. When your world has been constrained, the flesh inside of you needs to survive. And because it needed to survive, it adapted that desire of survival to think of itself so that it can survive. And so that's why all the things that the flesh desires are for itself. That's why it is enmity against God because the flesh does not look outward. The flesh looks inward for its survival because of the constrainment of this earth. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Just what I just said now. So that is why the natural man is self-centered. The man in the flesh cannot think of love. When a man in the flesh is thinking of love, when he, what a man in the flesh calls love is um, a... When a man in the flesh says, I love you, what he's saying is, I am highly passionate for you because you can meet certain desires that I have. Hallelujah. So, all together. That's why for Christians, there are some questions that you ask. Uh, let's, let's dip it now, right? So, let's, dip, let's, let's speak particularly. You know, there are some times that we speak lightly and um, there are times we'll speak lightly and there are sometimes that we speak particularly. Now, I want to speak particularly. That's why for the Christian, when you ask your husband or your wife, honey, why do you love me? Right? Why do you love me? If we are going to speak particularly as Christians, the answer to that question is actually because I decided to love you. There's nothing deeper than that. It doesn't sound romantic. That's why romance is actually in the arena of the flesh. Do you understand that? Because for the flesh, when you say, honey, why do you love me? The answers you are saying are actually not love of God. I mean, romantically speaking. What do you say? Because you are beautiful. Because there's no one like you. Because, yes, thank you very much. So, you know, because um, your personality makes me great. You, you, get, the, you get me. And all those things he's saying are things that pertain to what he will get. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage, there is... Um, sanctioned lust. The relationship between a man and his wife is actually love and lust together. Sanctioned. In the marriage, um, what do you call it? Arrangement is different, alright? So in marriage, you love your partner primarily and then you can lust after them. That is the only sanctioned lust. You lust after your wife and your wife lost after you. That means you want to enjoy each other. Do you understand that? Outside of that institution, to lust and to sexualize another person is complete evil. Do you know why? Because you are looking at that person, you are not thinking of their good. The, what you are desiring from them, because you are lusting after them, is just the sex and the attention and the times you will go out and all the fun you will have together because of the pleasure you will receive. You do not love that person. That is what lust is. It is only in marriage that that lust makes sense because you have already on the baseline committed to the good of that person. So that even if anything happens that damages that capacity for lust that, that both of you share, the love that you have committed to that person, you have sworn an oath to the good of that person, that one can never die. Do you understand that? So that's why the lust of marriage is different. It's sanctioned. But the lust outside of marriage is two people just want to use each other. Even when they mutually agree to use each other, it's still lust. It's still an evil. Do you understand that? Because you can mutually agree to do evil to each other. Two people can mutually agree to do evil to each other. The fact that two people are consenting to do nonsense does not make it not nonsense. That's why, you know, the West having, 
received the tradition and the understanding of the Imago Day from their culture because God has taught them the values of Christianity to understand human autonomy and human agency and it has entered their heart. They don't know the tether, the foundation from which that thing came. So they just take the fruits and think that morality is based on consent. And they'll say, what we are doing as long as it is not causing problem for anybody and both of us are agreed, it is a good thing, it is okay. But that's not the basis of morality. Check it out together. That's not the basis of right and wrong. That ability of autonomy is just a manifestation of the underlying thing. The real right and wrong is what the purpose of God is for a people or for a person. It is deviating from that purpose that makes you do evil. And it is staying in that purpose that is doing, that is what's doing good. It's not a matter of consent. That's why you guys have heard the story before. I don't know if I've shared it before. Of two guys in Germany. Both of them agreed. They gave consent to themselves that they want to eat each other. And they signed. So I do not say that without me, that we were not with their mental capacity. Both of them agreed. They signed. They even taped it on video. And they ate each other. They ate each other's genitals. And they died. Now if you say, they are, at least they are not harming any other person. Does that make you right? Do you understand that? That's why you know our people that are gay will say that what they are doing is not harming anybody. It's between two consenting adults. No. That's not what makes it right. Do you understand that? Whether two children consent that both of them want to go and drop inside a tub of hot water, it doesn't matter. What they are doing is going to destroy them. Church out together. Because lost is thinking of yourself. Lost is trying to get something for yourself, for your pleasures, and your pleasures alone. And this is the default of the flesh. That's why without God, you cannot love. Without the help of God, you cannot love. Because, like I said on Sunday, there are two things that enable us to love. Number one is that you must know what is good for the person. And number two, you must be capable of doing what is good for the person. Both of these things are not in the capacity of the flesh to have. The flesh does not even know what the will of God is. The flesh of God does not even know what is good. That's why the, the, whole, world, the whole world is floundering, floundering on this matter. And it seems like as if the marriage issue... It's such a technical issue and people seem to have all kinds of different theories and all of them are just floundering and having all kinds of funny ideas. Listen to me. Hmm? Listen. Christian marriage is based on love first. The love that wills the good of a person. That's what it is based on. That's what it is based on. The lost is only secondary. The lost is only secondary. How did my wife put it? The essence of love is not to make a person happy. It's to do what is good for the person. The essence of love is not to make a person happy. It is to do what is the good of the person. The happiness that comes is just an afterthought. Are we together? The happiness that comes is just is, is a cherry on the top. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. So, right? I'm not saying it's not important. I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not important. See, let me speak particularly now. And this encompasses the whole thing we'll be talking about, marriage and even the other thing we're talking about with respect to finances and the entire idea we've been talking about, right? Listen, barring some constrained situations like persecution and all those kinds of things. Barring that, the truth is that what we will find is that, is that the, the possessions that God will bless you with, because God will bless you with possessions, the possessions that God will bless you with, you will be able to use them for the will of God and also to enjoy them. Do you understand that? Barring any constraints or any strange situation like persecution and all that, you will find that the possessions that God will bless you with, you will be able to both use them for the will of God and also for you to enjoy. So you should not look at this message and this entire series as like as if, ah, 
the possessions that God has given me, I'm not supposed to enjoy them. No. Mm -mm. We are telling you that you should hold those possessions and think of them like a believer should. You should hold your possessions like a Christian does. You should hold your possessions like one that has the Holy Spirit does. And how does one hold it? Number one, your possessions are primarily to do the will of God and then for enjoyment. If there's any constrained situation where you don't have enough to enjoy, whatever you have must be used first of all for what? The will of God. This is what we see throughout the scriptures. That woman in Zarephath had only, um, those are the real lessons. When the woman gave that thing to the prophet, was she expecting anything in return? What did she say? We will eat and what? Die. Do you understand that? It's, it's wrong for you to read that story and you are saying, if you give everything, it is because of it that God, read this well. The woman says, let me eat this thing and die. Let me use it and give the prophet because he's a man of God. So in that constrained situation, God recognized what she did. You understand? God, um, in that constrained situation, she recognized that she ought to, that was working in faith. That she was supposed to use her possessions to do what the will of God was. And what was the will of God at that time? To preserve the life of that prophet. And God now provided for her. God's provision in that place was not based on what she had done. It was based on his goodness. Church, all together. Sure that you said. So it's the same thing with relationship, right? Barring any strange cultural situation, you should marry someone that you will love primarily and with whom the lost will also be strong. Do you understand that? Barring, so that's barring any situation. So I'm speaking particularly. However, listen. <laughs> However, if it happens, if it happens that there's a situation where the people that you have to choose is only to lust after them or to love them, you marry the person that you love. Do you understand that? I mean with the love of Christ. You decide to, let me say it, but I didn't say it well. If you are forced to be in a situation where you must love the person you marry and there will be no lust, eh? that's what you will do. You will marry, pick a person, you will love the person, you commit to the person's good even though there's no lust and pray that the lust will come. You understand what I just said now? Hey. The Lord will give you understanding. Let me sound like an apostle. The Lord will give you understanding. I know what I am saying. I know what I am saying. It is the love that is primary. The lost can be amended. Don't join all these irresponsible children that do not have fathers to teach them well. To say, make sure you check sexual compatibility before you marry. All those things are matters of lust. Lust does not keep a, a marriage in the will of God. Lust cannot hold a marriage. Lost is like using a thread that is to sew clothes to try to start your generator. Have you ever seen this thing you should put pressure before? And I want to remove thread from your clothes. That's how to start this generator with it. That's what you are trying to do. And a lot of people, and see, this thing I'm telling you, if you guys receive your understanding, you see clearly where I see it. You too, you will get to the point like me that when you see two couples, eh, you can already with a high degree of this thing, you can already predict their future. This is what's happened to a lot of people in the world. They are confusing lust for love. And in the height and the fever of the infatuation that, come, that is in the lust, they think that they love somebody or that somebody loves them. You can see that in all that they are doing, that commitment, that quality of character, that value system and quality of character because it is to will the good of a person. It means that if a person first of all recognizes what good is and has the quality of character to deliver it. You look at a person, you can see, you can tell that it's going to be a problem. Like you see a guy that you've known him for a long time that is always jumping from one girl to another. He's always jumping from one girl to another. He likes girls, he likes fine girls and all that. He now finally meets another fine girl. And that time, that's the time he now has money. And this day, he say, ah, this girl, I love her so much. I want to marry her. you know the person. 
the wedding no. There will be problems. Because you know that what this person is calling love is just lost. Love is antithetical to the flesh. That is why it is only by Christ that you can actually love. That is why it is a given in the scriptures. Notice what the scriptures major on and what they minor on. In the scriptures, it is a given that if two believers love themselves the way Christ loves the church, that marriage will be okay. It is a given. It is a given. The apostles don't talk about how to choose a partner and all those things because it is given that for Christians in the New Testament, you pick a partner and you decide to love them. That is what you need. You see all these rubbish things you say, I also want my partner, I want my speck, I want my speck. See, sooner or later, the person will no more be your speck. Do you know that? <laughs> hey, hey. Sooner or later, hmm? That person will no more be your speck. Either it happens in the first year, five years of your marriage, or the next ten of ten years of your marriage, or fifteen years. One day, one now one day, there's something called menopause. Amen. Amen. One day, now one day, there's something called giving birth to two or three children. Amen. That thing that was your speck, living by the flesh. I want a girl that is figure eight, that is lepa kiniko. That speck, eh? The love of God will force you to change it. Did you hear what I just said now? Hmm. So, if the love of God will still make you to change that your speck when you get married, why not let it change it now before you get married? Did you hear what I just said now? See, uh, uh, and you see a lot of all those funny YouTube pictures on Instagram on YouTube. It's funny, funny. And see, what one you say as someone today, some girls are like, when you taste the relationship where the guy does not have money. Mm. <laughs> Listen to me. Hmm? Marry a guy that has money. Yes, he has money. He make like, oh, don't do bare minimum. Okay? I'm marrying. There's something called Buari. <laughs> you will see. You say, I want to marry a man that has money. Okay. When you get married and the man should now not have money anymore, what do you want to do? You say you're not doing again. You say you're not marrying again. Whatever you will do then, why not start doing it now? If by then you will have to fall back on the love of Christ and dig it out from wherever it is, it, it is inside your reborn spirit, why not dig for it now and let it influence your decision from the beginning? My story has been consistent for 11 years and everybody that knows me, thank God the day that I told my friend that night, they can bear testimony and I lie, I lie not. Let me sound like the apostles. I lie not. God is my witness. The first time, I, the day I said, I told my friend that night, ah, I said, I've seen somebody. I'm going to marry this girl. At that point, there was no loss. God bears me witness and she's here. Ask her. There was no loss. The loss came after. Are you sense And I'm happy that the Holy Spirit dealt with me till I got to that point. Because all before then, in my young mind, all my decisions were previously based on what? Lost. The natural man does not have the capacity to love because he neither knows what it is, neither does he have the character for it. Have you seen the, the fruits of the Spirit? Have you seen the fruits of the flesh? You can be attached to someone while the person is still giving you what your flesh desires. Sooner or later, that person will no more be capable of giving you that thing that your flesh desires. What will you do then? That's just one level. That's like the best case scenario. The worst case scenario or the common case that will happen to everybody, which is the normal thing, is what we call hedonistic adaptation. Your flesh will get bored. That thing that your flesh has always desired when it has desired, when it has gotten enough of it, hedonistic adaptation, I thought you guys about it, right? Hedonistic adaptation will set in and it will no more be sweet to your flesh. 
That is the evil spirit behind those boys that tweet on Twitter and say, a man is not meant to be mono monogamous. Is it women that are meant to be monogamous? You think it's only men that get tired of women. It's only men that get tired of women. <laughs> you think it's only men that they see or that we think men don't know. Hmm? That is where that evil spirit comes from. Hedonistic adaptation. Is that dating a girl or a dating a girl and like, this guy is everything? Because you have never understood the, world, the love of God and you have never exercised yourself in it. You think that the way you are feeling now means that you love the person. No. Sooner or later, the person will, will either not be able to give you that thing that your flesh desires anymore, I mean compulsorily because the flesh is constrained, or even before you get to that point, hedonistic adaptation will set in and whatever it is you are seeing in that person's body will become insipid in your mouth. It will become tasteless in your mouth. It will lose the flavor that it always had. What will you do then? What is love? Love is an act of the will of a, of a reborn spirit. It is the act of the will of a reborn spirit. It is neither for gain or for pleasure. It is a commitment to do the good of another person. It is an act of the will. So you decide. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You decide. I will love people. And this is what we are going to be judged for. This is what our faithfulness will count. You decide. Listen to me. Say, you will decide. I'm going to love my fiancé. It's a decision. I will will the good of this person. I will will the good of this person. It is when that thing has been built as the framework. I don't know why it is because of this conversation we had before service, baby. But no, let's just let's just flow. It is that thing at the framework that can even make a marriage good. Ah, that man said it well. A Christian marriage actually is a good avenue for God to teach you spiritual things, to teach you how to love like a Christian. It's easy that you're coming to church and you don't know people very closely. You don't know their faults. So you say, I love you, sister. You hug them. Give them side hugs, some full hug. Everybody say, I love you. I love you, the love of Christ. We're all rejoicing and laughing together. And your mind, we have love in our church. Go home, let them show you Pepe. And you still will the good of that person. In marriage, if you do it the way the Bible, that's why it says like Christ and the church. When believers love the way the Christians are meant to love, you grow spiritually in it. You grow. And that's why the apostle said that if a man is going to be an elder in the church, the man must first prove that he's a good husband and father. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it before and I say it again. Every minister is first a husband before he's a minister. Do you know that? I'm sorry, I know that you know our one point Calvinist people don't believe. Listen to me. You are not first a pastor before you're a husband. You are first a husband before you're a pastor. Because your qualification for pastoring is based on your faithfulness as a husband. Church, are we together? Love is an act of the will of the reborn spirit to be committed to the good of a person. You decide that I will do the good of this person. So you do it for your spouse and you do it for all believers. You commit yourself to them that what is, the, what is the good of this person and I will do what is good for this person. It is contrary to what the flesh wants and that's why it is only by the word of God. So from the word of God, we can already tell what is good for a person. It is good for every man that they know God, that they know Christ and that they receive eternal life. That's why love is not a feeling. Because many times when you recognize what is good for a person, you don't feel like doing it. Do you understand that? Love is not maintained by the, um, the impetus for love. Is not, is not maintained by feelings. If love is a ship, hmm, the sails that are pushing the ship and the things that are rowing it is not the feelings. Is the act of the will. Is volition. You commit and say, I will love this person. That's why Jesus, in his, in his humanity, 
showed us what it looked like. That the man would be on the cross and say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And still be there saying, father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. If it was based on feelings, everybody there supposed to collect. Do you understand what I said? No? If it was based on feelings, everybody supposed to collect. That's why that man was correct. People are telling that you should get married with, to someone that, that's essentially what it means. That's essentially what people are saying. Get married to someone that makes you feel good. No! Primarily, that one is secondary. It is when it is available. Primarily, you marry someone that you have committed to. Hopefully, the person makes you feel good. I know it sounds tough, but you know I'm speaking particularly. You know, I've already told you caveat before that, except there's a constraint situation. You will have both. Do you understand that? So calm down and hear me well. Calm down and hear me well. Actually, the way it has always been, forget all this thing that's happened in the last 50 years of human civilization. The way it has always been is that you decide to marry a person and hope that the person will make you feel good. To give you a hint, I'm sure you guys have heard me say this thing before. Look at the Apostle Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, don't we have a right like all the apostles to take a sister and lay down on? Do you see toasting there? Do you see them toasting anybody saying, well, romance, can you go, can you go? <laughs> Let me tell you what will happen. You say, I've decided. Look at the stories of people like Bishop Ridiculous. There are some things you have to learn from these people. See, Antico, God has called me. I love God. This is what we are doing. Are you interested in this thing? Are you committed to this thing? If you are committed to it, let us go. This idea that marry someone based on how they make you feel first before you now make a decision to love them. No. The actual way is that you make a decision to love them first and then bother about how they make you feel. The reason why people have been making bad decisions is because they have been in their feelings. And their eyes are not clear. It's now compounded by petrol that makes the feelings to be like raging fire. Petrol of sex. Petrol of ab absurd amount of time together. Talking rubbish things on chat and phone. Those things are making your feelings to be high. Your head is not seeing anything. If the guy is a laggard, that is not serious. I'm not talking about content though. I say laggard. If he's a laggard, you cannot tell. If she's materialistic, and she's just hiding. You cannot tell. Your eyes, your head is not even correct. You cannot tell. If this person that has all those moral defects, like not being able to stay through, there are some things that we cannot even be teaching you in church and be listing all the things that can be turning your flesh in marriage. There are some things that you will not even know were possible. You will not even, you cannot plan ahead. That's why it must be love. There are some things you cannot plan ahead for that will be funny to you. I just understand you. That's why you actually are meant to love a person first before you bother about feelings. Actually. That's why the, the, the Christian injunction for marriage and sex is based on his duty. Like Pastor Kingsley always says, said there's beautiful sex and there's what? Beautiful sex. It's based on love that that happens. If it's based on feelings, listen to me, your sex life will not pass the first few years of your marriage. But you know the Bible tells us? This is what you call the love of Christ. Are you hear what I'm saying? This is what you call the love of Christ. Apostle Paul said, Oga, your body is not your own, it's for your wife. Madam, your body is not for you, it's for your what? Husband. There's something called dutiful sex because of the love of God. When you have committed to the good of a person, and you have made a decision to a person. It's not every time I feel like doing. Person will say, Sir, I have needs. Because of the love of God, you must find it and answer. Did you hear what I just said now? That's Christian marriage. The one of the world is always gruba, thrown the wall and everything. You will understand after you get married that, see, as a Christian, there's something called walking in the love of God's sex. Walking in dutiful sex that you, you there's nothing like I, I don't feel like doing and everything. You say, and this thing, don't think it's just for guys, it's both ways. Oh, it's both ways. You come and say, Sir, 
I have needs. You are committed to my good. You say, yes, I'm committed to your good. I will find it. This is not the time. That's why all this spec matter is children. And adults that don't want to grow up. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? We've enough of that. Let's continue. So this is what we'll be judged for. This is the faithfulness of the believers. Walking in love towards other Christians. Walking towards love towards other men. This is why. This is why we preach the gospel. It's not a feeling. Evangelism doesn't feel nice. It is because you are committed to the good of that person. You know what is good for that person and you are committed to it. That's why I'm sharing the gospel with you. That's why I'm sharing God's word with you. That's why I'm sharing God's word with you. Today when I was meeting at the office online and everything, now they don't cast me completely. Say, ah, Pastor Sam, can you talk to me? I didn't even know how much I've even affected people. Say, ah, is Pastor Sam is authentic one? Because once we're in the office like this, when anything comes up, you go just start to the preach, they share for us. <laughs> I didn't even know that's got in that bad. So it's not every time you feel like, it's not every time you, you, what am I saying? You might not even feel like. It's because love is a commitment to the good of another person. Whether the person is happy or not. I cannot sense you. That's why the bond inside of the body of Christ, the bond that we have in the local church that all of us have for each other, is based on a love and a commitment. Father, help me to explain this thing well. There's a way that being a part of a class or being a part of something that is happening can give you a sense of solidarity to people that are in that community with you. Do you understand that? So I was, I was listening to someone, when one of these um, Christian apologists was talking about how um, the, the tools that they used to develop cults and everything. How to develop a cult. Listen, there are some times that you might be in a community and because of something that is happening in that community, a common ground that you have in that community that all of you are revolving around, you have a sense of solidarity to each other. And then you will confuse that sense of solidarity that you have for love. I went to school, being in fellowship and being a part of a community of people that you guys are organizing programs together and everything, you guys are working together. You think you love each other until you leave school. And then it's like as if you can't even recognize the person again. As if you don't even know the person. You'll not be asking yourself, why were we so close then? You can't remember. Because that was no love. What's the word for that now? <laughs> just, do you understand that? So you see, you can see that a lot. It's another way that I used to develop them that they used to do cults, right? Um, well, the, so there's something called bites. Cults control your behavior, they control the information you have access to, they control your thoughts, and they, your thoughts, and then they control your emotions. And the fifth thing they do is what they call love bombing. When they will bomb you with love, they'll bomb you with love, bomb you with love, and even you psychologically you become modulated. You that will disagree, you become, you become a more agreeable person. You become less neurotic and you think that that is love. Love is not lost. Love is not fellowship, like the way put it, fellowship and solidarity and camaraderie of being in an organization with someone. You say, ooh, all of us are TEC members. Ooh, we're taking videos together. Ooh, that's not love. We have our clique on Twitter that are always tweeting at each other. When someone tweets, we all retweet each other and say, oh, oh my God, in that church, they love each other. That's not love. Do you know a person can be coasting through that camaraderie and never have they actually decided that I am committed to the good of this person? It's something... It's an act of the will of the reborn spirit. So it's not something that happens unconsciously. This, that's the word. Love is not a subconscious decision. It's not something that, he, he, I just found myself loving him. <laughs> or I just found myself loving my church. It's not a subconscious decision. It is a conscious decision. Pastor, Pastor do you understand? You will decide that this coconut-headed boy at some point while you're in this church, a, a moment will come when you will, com you, make, you will commit that act of the will and say, I have looked at this boy and I have committed myself to the good of this boy. So it means that even when he's misbehaving, 
when anything goes wrong, when he's not here, I have committed myself to the good of this person. When I don't feel like chatting and I don't, I'm not in the mood, I have committed myself to the good of this person. So, TED is not a subconscious thing. You know, say, do you love each other? Yes, I love TEC, I am TEC. Woo! And you say, um, I, I found myself, I just love my church. No. It's not a subconscious thing. It's something that you will sit down one day and decide. <laughs> I think I'm saying to you. It's something that you will sit down and decide. It's not a feeling. Do you know that even your siblings, even your siblings and your family members, you can never truly love them unless you do that act of the will. Because if you think that just because we're family members, naturally I will love them is a lie. That's when you know that siblings can hit each other and kill each other. A time will come when you will have to make that intentional decision. That I will love my brother and I will love my sister. Now that I'm saying this thing, you guys will begin to realize that it's not like that. When God said that he loved this world, he was not, oh my God, I just feel like loving these guys. I just feel like loving these guys. It's an act of the will. And when you are faithful in it, Jesus says, ask whatever you need so you can bear more fruits. And I will prune you. This is actually the secret behind why some of the fathers will say, I have never prayed from, for certain possessions. They keep coming. When the Bible tells us that, see, God knows what you need. When the apostles tell us that, when Jesus tells us in the, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels, that God knows what you need even before you ask for them. That's what it means. You need to stop looking at God like your pagan, like your pagan idols. And you need to start seeing him as revealed in the, in the prophets and the epistles. God is the kind of God that can provide things even before you ask them. This is one of the places where you see those things being um, exemplified. Praise God. This is one of the places where you see that thing being exemplified. You will see how that by you look at a person in ministry and your heart is drawn out to the person. Your love for the person is, is stirred up. You have, you have seen something that the person needs. And your heart is drawn up with compassion. Like the Bible says about Jesus in his earthly work. And you will just find that there is supply of the gift of the Spirit. I've seen some kind of strange things happen to me in that place. If you want to if you don't want to manifest the gift of the Spirit, be absent-minded concerning people. If you want, this is the secret. If you want to see gift of the Spirit that will shock you yourself, that when, are, when you yourself are hearing it, that it's like as if it's an out-of-body experience because it's like as if they're talking about another person. If you want to see it, eh, have people in mind. Be committed to their love. Be compassionate about them. Be compassionate about them. Your mind will just be going to knowledge that you could not have thought of and will be accurate concerning them. That's why you, you just see that your mind is just going in certain directions. Your mind will just be going in certain directions. Hmm. I guess I'm saying to you. You might just be going in certain directions. You see someone that is sick, and this thing happens a lot. Someone that is sick, and the person comes, like one, one that happens to me in the battle. Those, there's some, you know, there are some major things that happen in your life that, that major, like, not star, like the not star in your life that happens. And then, there's, of course, there are some testimonies that God blesses us with often regularly. You hear all kinds of, all kinds of things that happen regularly, but there are some things that will be like not star in your life that you always remember, right? You have some experiences. It will be born from that place of walking in love towards someone. 
Someone comes to you and they tell you what they are going through. And you are upset. You are sad. You, you are drawn up in compassion at the same time because you are upset that who born this Satan to be doing this to this person? Person has gone to hospital, don't test, don't test, don't test, don't test, don't test. You say, refer to UCH, refer to this, refer to that. Don't test, don't test, don't test, nothing. You see how it's affecting the person's marriage, it's affecting the person's this, it's affecting the person's that. You just find compassion where you say, God, kill me. You say, God, even if this people today, you answer my prayer, Lord, I pray from the bottom of my heart for this person. You just see something happen. It will be like, like, like a dream. I can't understand you. God is committed to supplying the spirit where there is love. God prunes the branches that are fruitful. He gives them more and more and more. He gives them more and more and more. So that you can do more and more and more. Listen to me. As God is blessing you with more financial possessions, what should increase is your charity. Not your lifestyle. Your lifestyle should not rise with the same measure. That's, that's the things that will show if you truly understand this message. If you see your possessions as primarily for doing the will of God and secondarily for your enjoyment, one of the ways that it manifests is that as God is increasing your possessions, your lifestyle is not meant to increase the way your income is increasing. It is your charity that increases the way your income is increasing. Do you understand what I said now? It's your charity that should increase the way your income is increasing. I'm not saying your lifestyle should not increase. But it should not follow the same trend. What should follow the same trend is your charity. You should get to the point when you sit down and look at the amount that you have given. You will know that, ah, yes, God is using me. That's what you should do. It's a commitment. It's a decision. It's a commitment. It's an act of the will. And this is what God is going to judge us for. And so what am I asking every one of you today? In case you are under the illusion that you love TEC right now, if you feel like you love TEC, or that you love everyone around you, love believers, you have not to. Because you have positive emotions towards a person does not mean you love them. Write that down. Positive emotions is not love. The fact that you currently have positive emotions to TEC, the world is coming steady and nobody has offended you, everybody is acting as if their head is correct, you think that you are in love with TEC. You do not love TEC yet. Love is not positive emotions. What I am telling you this evening, what I am telling you to decide now is that it's an act of the will. So you need to decide now if you are going to love people or not. It means you are going to decide now whether you are going to love the ministry of the gospel, whether you are going to love your local church, whether you are going to love all men. It's a decision. It's not positive emotions. So do not assume, do not think that you are walking in love. Because they say, ah, we're working in love towards each other, we're working in love. Saying, like, my love work, how is your love work? And what you are just imagining is positive emotions. That's not, that's not love. You need to make that decision now. You need to make that decision now. So that's the reason why a Christian can love their enemies and love their friends. That's why a Christian can pray for their enemies and pray for their friends. Because it's a decision, not positive emotions. That's why you can actually have <laughs> that's why you can actually have negative emotions from dealing with a person and still love them. Did you know that? Uh-huh. Luton. When Jesus was whipping those people out of the temple, do you think that he didn't love them? Do you think so? Okay, let me see one that will, that will give you spanner. When Jesus on the, is sitting on the great white throne on that day, and he's judging people that reject him. Do you think he doesn't love them at that point? 
He shock you. <laughs> he shock you. <laughs> Love is not positive emotions. That's why a person can offend you. And you'll be telling him, you is not correct. You are, you are you're a very annoying person. But I love you. That's why a church member can do some funny things to the pastor and be like, this one is possessed too. But I love you. That's why you can actually know, you'll be hearing reports that a person is slandering you and saying some negative things about you in a place. And you'll be upset. Why is this person doing this? And yet, once you hear that the person has some kind of need, you are, you are running there with you, throw your slippers to go and help the person. And you're upset. That's Christian love. I hear what I'm saying to you. Do you think when Jesus was going through the weight of the cross and all the lashing and he was bleeding, do you think he was having positive emotions at that time? You know the way we, when we're acting Christian drama in secondary school? That will teach us how to walk in love. That even when your boss is beating you, you'll be saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That even when your enemies are persecuting you, keep saying, and be smiling, say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I will love you. You know, <laughs> no. That is coming from the place of assuming that love is still a positive emotion. No. When they were flogging Jesus and he was crying, they were putting chukuchuk on his head. And I think he was saying, oh, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My father was, he was in pain. He was in pain. Yet, he loved us. So, I don't want any of you to be under any illusion to think that you love me as you are now. <laughs> you say, you say ah, I love my pastor. You don't know. You, are not, you can't know unless you have made the decision. So, you must make that decision now as you are listening to me. It's a deliberate thing. You make that decision now. When that happens, once you have proven your heart faithful with love, every other thing will follow. Now you can give when we have a need. Not expecting anything in return. And even if something happens and you give and you don't get money, you will not become offended. Now you can give. Do you understand that? Now you can easily separate it in your mind. When you are giving, you are giving because you love God, not because you want to use God. When you have needs, you pray because you know God will hear your prayer. You can do that confidently. Periods, if I offend you, how will you provide, how will you be available for setup? You think I will not say offend you? <laughs> Listen to me, all of you here now. Let me just warn you ahead. Let me tell you your future. I'm going to offend you. All of you. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. It might be right and it might be wrong. Some offense I will give you that will be correct. Some will be bad. That it will be my fault. I'm telling you ahead now. Are you ready? When that happens, how will your service in the church be? <laughs> how will your service be? How will your service be? How will your giving be? It's a decision you make. This is what God will judge us with. Don't worry, next Wednesday we're going to talk about, before we, before we, this thing will, next Wednesday we'll talk about, we'll look at 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3, and then chapter 4. We'll see some things. Don't be, don't be under any illusion. That you love us or that you love people. It's a decision you make. If you think that because you've been feeling good about us all this while, that means that I love my church. No, you do not. It is a decision. It is certain events that will come and reveal to you to make you realize that you were never really loving here. Which I get what I'm saying to you. And this is the reason why Christians who exercise themselves in the Christian way of doing things will turn out to be good spouses. A good Christian is a good husband. A good Christian is a good wife. 
A good Christian is a good husband. And a good Christian is a good wife. If you want to have marriages, if you want to have relationships, not just marriage, you want to have relationships that last long, that will be based on the good. That's why we say there's a high level of divorce rates and it's like we don't even know. See, there is no formula to it. There is no special formula and matrix and permutation of the personality and this one, this one, that one, that one. Listen to me, you know? It's not that. It's love. These three things abide. These three things abide. Love a person. Be committed to the love of a person. Believe in the person. Hope the best of the person. That's what love is. All those other things you can are amenable. Those things are fixable. You say eh, he likes going out. Me, I like going in. Eh, me, I like movies. She doesn't like movies. What are all those robust things? Ah, me, I'm a very tidy person. She's very scattered. Love amends all those things. If you notice that your scatteredness is affecting your partner too much, because you have been trained by the love of God, you know how to love. You will modulate your behavior. You say I'm looking for someone that is very orderly like me. What is your problem? Is it orderliness you will eat in the marriage? What are the other things that people always want? <laughs> to make a decision. All those other things can be taken care of. Anyone you know I'm saying to you? Listen to me. If any one of you are listening to me, you take this down, write it down. If you find a woman that is so-called not your spec, that she doesn't look fine, and you know there are some people that their own not your spec. It's not just you that corroborates it. You also have people around you that corroborate it too. See, right? So when, when someone is not the spec of many people, right? <laughs> See, listen to me. As a Christian, listen, try this. Try this. You and the person, sit down and say, we will get married. We are committed to the good of each other. We will die for each other. We will love each other and marry and see what will happen. Try it and see what will happen. <laughs> Just try it and see what will happen. You make that commitment. You don't buy in fact, you might never have known the person before. Make that commitment. I will be your friend, I will be there for you no matter what happens. And you make that decision to that person and see how that marriage will turn out. The ones that were doing um, um, um Prom queen and a uh, uh, prom king. Uh, I'm fine, she's fine. And I have can and there are those things. You see, they will come to you for counseling. That's what will happen. I get what I'm saying to you. That's what love is. So, you know, Penny will, will know, well, before um, having that next service, I want you to do something. I want you to meditate on this. And I want you to begin to make that decision to love. Next thing we're going to talk about how that love will now be manifested. Things that we expect to see of a man that is in love, in their conduct. A man that loves God and loves people. Things that we expect to see in their conduct. We'll talk about it next Wednesday. But before then, this is what I want you to do. This is what your faithfulness is. To love people. I want you to contemplate on it and actually meditate on it. And ask yourself, do I really love people? Do I really love the gospel? Do I really love my church? Do I really love God? Think about it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Bow your heads and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.